0: It's time for Into the RGV. Here's Davis Rankin. Welcome to Into the RGV. I'm Davis Rankin, and I'm your tour guide, as it were, into the Rio Grande Valley. That's what the RGV stands for, the Rio Grande Valley, uh, which is on the northern banks of the Rio Grande uh, the northern Mexican border. Uh, it's an historical area. It's a very interesting area, and we're going to bring that interest to you in the series of podcasts. And this series of podcasts is brought to you by Esparza Pest Control and Simmer Technology. Give them a call at 956 316 0000. Once again, 956 316 0000. The the RGV is made up of four counties, Cameron, Hidalgo, Starr, and Willacy. and today we're going to talk about the history of Cameron County. So when I realized I had to talk about Cameron County, I thought, what do I know, which is not very much. i got to find somebody who knows about it. So I called uh, Tony Knopp, who was a professor, well, he ended up down here in 1976, first at Texas Southmost College and then eventually at University of Texas RGV teaching history i i called tony to find out who can i call well i'd call the right person it was divine intervention tony knopp in fact i went to my library tony and i found a book called ongoing studies in Rio grand valley history edited by blah 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 and anthony knopp so the right guy to give us a, a taste of what was going on in cameron county uh, back yonder and uh, now now, I told Tony the first question I was going to ask him is, first, Tony, welcome, and thanks for doing this. First question uh, for the students is, where does Cameron County come from? Well, uh, the, the name, let's do the name. Oh, for <laughs> that skilywag, that scoundrel, that dead guy?
1: You wouldn't Cameron. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, after Texas uh, gained its independence from Mexico... Uh, the Mexicans sent up uh, more than one expedition, uh, two of which captured San Antonio. Yeah. And in retaliation, uh, the Texans uh, formed the Somerville Expedition, which came down all the way to Mier, which, as you may know, is across the border yeah. now. Of course, there really wasn't much. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, they got across the border and got caught by the mexican uh, Mexican force and taken to Matamoros and put into a prison there and tried to escape and uh-huh. when they caught up with them, they caught them all almost all of them and put them back in their in their jail, but they decided to execute every tenth person Uh-oh. and the way they were going to do it was they'd have uh pick beans out of a jar if you got a black bean. You were a dead guy, and if you got a white bean, then you were okay. You wouldn't be killed. Well, Ewan hmm. and Cameron, who was a captain in this expedition, he got his hands in the jar and pulled out a white bean, but they killed him anyway.
0: <laughs> he had provoked and, it. He had made mad uh, General Santa Ana, who sent word, kill this guy. So. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty brutal. So,
1: in his honor, hmm. uh, Cameron County was named.
0: At um, when when did it become Cameron County? Uh, for for I was talking with Tony earlier. It's good if you want to think about this to think about the river, the Rio Grande, the Rio Bravo to Mexicans as not being a barrier, uh, not being a, the dividing line between the U.S. and Mexico, but being just a river that ran through Mexico at the time, and they were still even after the 1836 Revolution, they were still disputing the Mexicans were still disputing where the southern boundary of the U.S. is. They thought it was the Noasis, and we claimed the Rio Grande River. Uh, Was there, um, when when was the first population, the first uh, settlement in Cameron County?
1: Well, uh, the first settlement, really, there were people from Mexico, from Matamoros, who came over here and had little farms back during the time that Mexico owned it, you didn't get uh, a large settlement of people here until yeah. uh, after the war between the U.S. and Mexico. Once the border was established, then you have a situation where you're going to want to be able to trade with the people on the other side in the other country, and there was going to be a permanent fort down here, and you wanted a, t- a community in order to kind of support the fort. And so that's what attracted people here.
0: What was the fort?
1: Uh, Fort Brown.
0: Okay. And that, that, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Excuse me. After the war, they didn't need a dirt fort anymore. uh, So they were going to build a permanent fort. And that's, uh, that's became the Fort Brown we think of.
0: Isn't there a move or has it come to fruition to declare or to make the old Fort Brown area, which got turned into a golf course at some point into a state park?
1: Well, they want to turn it over, I think, to join it uh, with the, it, under the U.S. government, like uh, the Palo Alto uh, mm-hmm. Historic Battlefield Park, and they've got Recycle de la Palma has been incorporated yeah. into that, and I think this obvious third link, which is an important part of the of the war of the beginning of the war to add that and the whole story of the beginning of the war could thus be told under the auspices of the national park service
0: the the war uh between the u.s and mexico which i was taught was the mexican war but i think now people refer to it as the mexican-american war i'm not sure yeah uh Talk about the significance of that, would you, especially in relation to Brownsville-Matamoros.
1: Oh, well, it was the the point of creation, really, of uh, Brownsville and Cameron County. Uh, indeed, Cameron County was created less than a month after the uh, Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo that ended the war between the U.S. and Mexico. And so you have the county hmm. established, and then... Uh, uh, A a merchant from Matamoros named Charles Stillman and some partners bought up the land on the U.S. site and began selling lots, and that's how Brownsville came (laughs) in.
0: The first real estate development. (laughs) Yeah,
1: right. He was a real estate developer,
0: no question. Stillman went on to to form City National Bank in New York City?
1: It's his son Ah. uh, that did that. Uh, James Stillman, who was born in Brownsville. And he went on to form a, a Citibank, yeah.
0: Do you, do you know if he's... The Stillmans were still there. The Stillman family had still lived there for a while, didn't they, into the 20th century?
1: We still have uh, two members of the Stillman family who lived in Brownsville,
0: yeah. Whoa. They had their own rail car at one time. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Be the first one yeah. on your block. And, <laughs> and uh, was Stillman in... Business with uh, Captain King of the King Ranch, and yes,
1: he and uh, uh, Captain King. These are uh, Captain King and Mifflin Kennedy were both uh, steamboat captains during the U.S.-Mexico War, and after the war, Stillman joined them and uh, created a monopoly of steamboat traffic on the river.
0: And that was the basis of the three fortunes.
1: Well, it had certainly a big influence on it. Mm. I would say that they made a lot of money, and uh, Stillman already had an operation going in Brownsville uh, before he got into the riverboat business. And, and all three of them bought ranches and uh, made a lot of money out of those ranches, too.
0: <laughs> Everybody wants to own a ranch, <laughs> even, even oh, back Oh,
1: sure. Stillman had at least three or four of them.
0: Uh, one more thing before we move down the timeline is it my impression correct that, uh, and I'm not sure when this would ended, but that people uh, went back and forth from Brownsville to Matamoros across the Rio Grande like nothing? Um, they, they lived in Matamoros, came to Brownsville. At some point, that sure. had to have ended.
1: And not only that, they operated businesses on both sides. And depending upon what the taxes were, the tariffs on one side or the other, they would switch the focus of their business from one side to the other.
0: Okay. Well, we've got Brownsville established. Brownsville was um, perhaps the most important city in the valley, the most important um, uh, town, city, uh, aggregation of people in the valley Till I'm not sure when. If memory serves, Margaret McAllen of the McAllen Ranch in Ndago County, they used to live in Brownsville and commute to their ranch out north of of Edinburgh. That's a heck of a commute.
1: Uh, Brownsville was the predominant uh, uh, town or city in the valley well into the 20th century.
0: What do you think is the next big historical event uh, in Cameron County after the Mexican War, the establishment of Brownsville, uh, and these these three guys who, I don't know if people saw them as pioneers then, but we certainly see them that way now?
1: Well, I I see a big uh, uh, problem of a challenge of military nature in the late 1850s and early 1860s with the problem with Juan N. Cortina, mm. uh, who attacked the town at one point and uh, was was uh, uh, persuaded to leave. And it, he took over the town briefly and yeah. was persuaded to leave by Matamoros' authorities. And then uh, the Civil War was very important. With regard to Brownsville, uh, because this became the crossing point, Confederate cotton to get it over into Mexico, and where it could be shipped out, avoiding the Union blockade, because Brownsville uh, was a Confederate town, and then the money came back and supplies came back for the Confederacy uh, through that same route.
0: They they would take the cotton into Matamoros proper. And then would they truck it or, or take it over land to the port of Baghdad, which is south of yep. the mouth of the Euphrates River, which no longer exists. Very
1: good. Yes.
0: And then take it like out,
1: that. and they would load it onto lighters and take it out into the ships in the Gulf, and off it would
0: go. It's kind of hard to imagine that being, but the river was not had not been um, they had not put dams on the river, so it was a I'm assuming a fuller and faster flowing. Um, That's exactly right,
1: then. and also a potential danger in terms of flooding. But it, it certainly would accommodate larger vessels than it would in the current era.
0: After the war, I never thought about this, after the war was over, and the last battle of the Civil War was fought east of Brownsville, is it Palmetto Hill, Palmetto? Yeah, uh, Ranch. Then all the excitement's gone. the war is over, you're here kind of at the end of the U.S. world, what did Brownsville do for the next 10, 20, 30 years? Once or Cameron County? Over,
1: well, yeah. Uh, I would say they did have a few successes, such as in the early 1870s, a railroad was established from Port Isabel into Brownsville, Okay, uh, which would help them in terms of moving any uh, goods that arrived by ship. Yeah. But uh, Brownsville was bypassed by the main railroads, railroads going through El Paso and Laredo into Mexico. And most of the commerce went that way, and as a result, Brownsville pretty much stagnated until the beginning of the 20th century. Uh,
0: Juan Nepomuceno Cortina, is that, is that the right? Uh, Juan
1: Nepomuceno Cortina,
0: right. He, uh, he had a grudge on that. Can can you explain where he comes from and why he is important? Do people still remember him in Brownsville?
1: Oh, yes. He was a charismatic and uh, erratic individual who uh, had a— his uh, mother owned a big ranch operation uh, west of town, and uh, he felt that the Anglos that had come into Brownsville were taking advantage of uh, the land— yeah. additional landowners and the local people, and, and he got into conflict with them.
0: Didn't, uh, wasn't the accusation that, that that family land, she was dispossessed of it? It was, it was Yeah, squawk- there was
1: that claim that his, his family land had been taken uh, by Anglos, yeah. and uh, he was resentful of it. And that, I think, was the factor that prompted his attack on Brownsville.
0: So was he a avenging angel of the Lord or a, That's or how a bandit?
1: That's it, yes. no nope saw it that way uh there were other uh, people who saw him as a bandit because he did take livestock uh, which he claimed of course were uh, belonged yeah. to his people uh, and the, the people yeah. from whom it was taken said <laughs> that, uh, that he was uh hijacking those those cattle rustling them
0: what what years was what years were he? What were the years he was active, and uh, then what happened to him? And does he have any kids running around?
1: Well, I don't know about any uh, descendants, but he was active uh, from uh, the late 1850s uh, well up through the Civil War because he got involved in the Civil War on the other side of the river because there was another Civil War going on over there, Uh, uh the Civil War between uh, Benito Juarez And uh, the Emperor Maximilian.
0: Ah, that's right.
1: uh, He was on uh, Juarez's side, and at one point he was the provisional governor of, uh, military governor of Tamaulipas. And he later served as uh, mayor of Matamoros, so he was very influential and powerful, but uh, continued to be somewhat which caused uh, yeah. a couple of presidents to ship him down to Mexico City, and that's where he eventually died.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, he, uh, what little I know is he turned it uh, pain in the rear end to people in Mexico. He was not, not a constant force. He was sort of inconstant. And exactly. Juarez was a very – he was the first Indian president of Mexico, the first uh, yes. um, original – well – descended from the original um, people living there, and a short guy, very short, and uh, a friend of Abraham Lincoln. He and Lincoln
1: uh, oh, yes.
0: were yes, That's pals. why you
1: have that Juarez Lincoln High School out ah. in the western part of the valley.
0: We'll continue our conversation with Tony Knopp, but first, let me tell you about Esparza Pest Control and Simmer Technology. Esparza Pest Control can help you with any pest from Rio Grande City to South Padre Island. And when I say any pest... Termites, spiders, uh, cockroaches, mites—I.e., uh, creepy crawlers—even uh, possums. Uh, if you have a possum problem, they can fix that for you. Asparza proudly represents Simmer Technology. Simmer, C-I-M-R technology, continuous infectious microbial reduction technology. Recently, the Air Force used Simmer technology at some of its bases and military installations and they're planning to use it even more. If you're a business owner, you should look into Simmer Technology. Movie theaters are starting to open up. Be a great place for the use of Simmer Technology. What Simmer Technology does, how it works is, it releases low-grade hydrogen peroxide gas into the air, and that zaps or gets rid of mold, viruses, bacteria. If you run a business, any kind of business, this is something you need to have at your place. Also, again, ask about RX-15 at Esparza Pest Control, 316 That's 316, local area code 956, 316-0000. Well, when did, um, when did Cameron County, I should tell people we're talking with Tony Knopp. He taught uh, history uh, in, in the Brownsville area, first at Texas Southmost College, which is still around. It's a junior college. And um, lastly, at the University of Texas, RGV in Brownsville, um, a uh, copious author or an author of copious studies, et cetera, into Rio Grande Valley history, particularly history of the lower Rio Grande Valley. Um, we're focused, I suppose, by um, not because I want to, but but that's what was... It, 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 Brownsville was the center of life uh, for, uh, for Cameron County for a good while. When did... Um, when did the bandit raids, I mean, wh- I guess what's the next biggest event? You had Fort Brown uh, in Brownsville, and it was being uh, garrisoned uh, with cavalry troops. It was eventually right. done away with as an active outpost in the 40s, or right after World War II. But what was going on no, at, at the turn the, of the uh, century? Near
1: the end of World War II, the last uh, uh, unit was sent off to go to Burma, and uh, the fort closed then, yeah.
0: uh, at the end of the war. My father-in-law was in that unit. He was the veterinarian in charge of the mules. Is that right? Yes, he was in China, Burma, India Theater. Closest he came to death, he said, was when they were resupplied and a big container of powdered milk dropped into the middle of the campfire <laughs> and almost clipped him, <laughs> almost got him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you that the next major developments, there were two of them, At the beginning of the 20th century, you got uh, uh, pumping of water for Ah. irrigation out of the Rio Grande. The
0: modern era. And you
1: got a train connection, uh, finally, out of Brownsville, North, and and into Mexico. And so you had a big agricultural boom begin to take place.
0: Ah. But it
1: was obstructed by the uh, uh, Mexican Revolution mexican revolution finally hit this area in 1913 then you know that put an end to midwestern farmers wanting to come down here and grow crops there were bullets flying
0: ah when did the uh, when did it become safe for midwestern farmers to come back down here when did you know when they felt it was okay
1: sure uh after uh basically after the end of world war one then it settled down, and it seemed like there wasn't going to be any more trouble. And the military uh, was occupying Fort Brown again, and so it, there was uh, protection. They saw it, and and that's when the agricultural boom really took off.
0: Now, here's an arcane question: Do you know when the first irrigation canal? Because the big, the big physical development which enabled enabled uh, agriculture to prosper i mean truck farming etc was the development of irrigation canals now the arabs had irrigation canals centuries before they like to tell us um and it's true but they dug irrigation canals here to provide water so people could grow and i guess that was also a real estate development um, of a sense a real estate promotion you know when the first one was built No, I don't know
1: exactly but I I would assume if you're going to pump water out, you've got to have somewhere to send it, so that would have been about 1902, perhaps. Uh, And then you had the Spiderweb Railroad. You had to build uh, uh, links in order to get the produce to to link it up, and Colonel Sam Robertson was the man responsible for that Spiderweb Railroad.
0: I didn't know that. Why do they call it Spiderweb?
1: Because it, it went places in the valley you know it
0: looked Uh, like a spider web okay there was i saw a picture i don't know about brownsville but i saw a picture north of mcallen or edinburgh once of a rail rail a railroad left side of the picture running right past various sheds and what they would do was what was done was uh, produce would be picked put into these Rail cars or containers of some sort, and then they would go buy an ice house. Ice would be dumped on top of it to preserve it on its journey north, and boom, they went on. And yeah, I, exactly. These were all gone before I before I grew up here. I, I don't know when they finally left. Did Brownsville have the same thing?
1: Uh, I don't know for sure. Yeah. But it, it's highly likely. I don't see that they would do things differently. Uh once they have a system, but the Spiderweb Railroad was primarily in the uh, western part of uh, Cameron and mainly yeah. in
0: Hidalgo County. That suggests that the land where the Spiderweb Radio uh, uh, Railroad was was the agriculturally uh, was the row crop or crop the best land for crops, as opposed to over by Port Isabel or
1: right. I think that's certainly correct.
0: Lost president You know,
1: the valley was uh, before the the irrigation. This was ranch land. Yep. There wasn't anything else they could do with
0: it. Yeah, and the when the king of Spain and then successive governments gave out grants, see, Tony Knopp, I guess you would write the king and say, hey, I would sure like a land grant, and they would give you a grant, and it, I know some people who still have the original grants yep. on whatever that. Material is vellum or whatever, and it would tell you where to go. And they were long strips, so you would have access to water
1: exactly for cattle. Because <laughs> it wasn't any use if you couldn't get water to your cattle.
0: Okay, so with the um, with the advent of irrigated crops, as distinct from cows, and I'm not sure there were any sheep or goats. It was always goats, but I'm not sure there was an industry. Uh, That changed the character of the valley forever, did it not? And I assume that the same is true in uh, Cameron County? We
1: we still had ranches. There were still people that had ranches, big ranches, and made money off them, and they continue to this day. But it also brought in all these people, Midwesterners, who moved down here and and acquired land for farming purposes. So that did change the character of the valley. (sighs)
0: So... When, what's your view of the so-called uh, matanza, which I think translates as the slaughtering? The um, big killing, yeah. Killing the, the bandit, ra- so-called bandit raids. There was many Mexicans or Mexican-Americans killed in the, as a consequence. Uh, there is still, I think, a discussion over who pulled the trigger the most. Texas Rangers were blamed for a lot of it. Uh, they were not the Texas Rangers that you see today but also local law, law men were involved in this. Um, what, what's your uh, what's your opinion it, of what happened?
1: It, it was a sad era in many ways. This was the period uh, while the Mexican Revolution was in full swing, mm-hmm. so to speak, back about 1915, 16, in that era. And there were uh, bandit raiders uh, active on... This side of the border, and uh, the result was that uh, uh, the governor sent uh, Rangers down here. Problem is, uh, a part of the problem, at least as far as I'm concerned, is that uh, Pa Ferguson was commissioning a bunch of his cronies as Texas Rangers.
0: He was the governor.
1: Yeah, he was the governor. He, they came down here, and these were not professional lawmen, and I think they were a, a big part of the problem that developed during that time. Uh, there he, was also a uh you know, the name escapes me, and my wife can give it to me of the the uh, <laughs> uh, proclamation that came out uh, during that time.
0: Talk about the plan, the de, plan de San, San Diego. Diego. She, Well, it's very simple, Tony, and you and I would be involved in this on the wrong end. Uh, They're going to take back the land that we got from them after the Mexican War, right? And uh, they're going to kill every Anglo male over the age of fifteen. Hey, that's we would have
1: been dead, Davis. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, that proclamation, and and, uh, from what I've read, we think that this was a a diversionary tactic involving the uh, the Carranza government. Yeah. Who hope to keep us preoccupied and not get involved in what they were doing over
0: there? They uh, is there's a book out now that his uh, museum in Edinburgh acquired the paperwork. Uh, descendant of one of the men, Mexican men involved in this, had the papers that his um, ancestor generated. I think it was his father, and he uh, the, the historical museum bought them, and it supposedly proves. Definitively, that yes, the, the gov- Mexican government churned this up as a way to uh-huh. make mischief with the American government. They were also wanting Wilson, President Wilson, to recognize that president as the legitimate president of Mexico, as I remember. So, you know, we have messed in Mexican right. affairs, uh, but That's this was exactly the first right. instance where they were messing in ours.
1: Well, the, the, the upshot was that there were a lot of uh, gringos, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no doubt in this area, that were very concerned about this uh, proclamation and this threat uh, to <laughs> their sorry. own
0: existence. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, uh, so, and then that also led to any Mexican-American person look like a Mexican bandit, and... and uh, that's
1: the other side of yeah. it. They, and there was... Yeah. lack of understanding between the ethnic groups.
0: Back well, at that well, we have just a, for good or for real, we have just a few minutes left. We go from that. That got settled. World War I was over. The Mexican Revolution was settled, and um, a stable government was established in Mexico. The next big event before we sign off this podcast?
1: Well, I suppose it would be uh, some of the developments that occurred perhaps during World War Two. but as far as I'm concerned... The biggest event uh, would be the development of the port of Brownsville, yeah, and establishing that cut back in mid eighteen thirties, uh, all the way into to the edge of Brownsville, to the edge of the city, so that Brownsville could become a port, and that was a very big accomplishment in terms of our economy, and still is today.
0: That the the port of Brownsville opened in nineteen thirty six, if I recall, right. But, but the cut, the the big. Uh, Canal from the Gulf all the way to the port itself. That was done in the early part of the nineteenth, uh, the twentieth century.
1: No, I think it didn't come until probably about. Uh, I, I I can't pinpoint okay. the exact year, but it'd been going on for a couple years anyway. In order to make that uh, that cut.
0: Okay, well that's yeah that's a separate podcast in itself, and uh, I. I <laughs> My only memory was they struggled. The leadership struggled for years to to make it happen, and it finally did.
1: Oh yes, the beginning of the twentieth century was Louis Kobolini was uh, yeah. struggled to try to get recognition in order to accomplish that.
0: Uh, last question for for Tony Knopp, uh, hearkening back to your student years, what uh, what stuck with your students? What after all you you have a you teach it all, but something really resonates with your students? Anything in particular?
1: Uh, the end of the semester, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but that's universal, Tony. That's <laughs> the
1: most when it was all over. Uh, but the, what I, what we've been talking about today, that was for sometimes upper division, but mainly graduate students. Really? really? That I would teach uh, about Brownsville and Matamoros history. And uh, I think they found, gee, I didn't know that, was a kind of a resounding uh, yeah. claim. By, on the part of the students, because yeah. they have very little knowledge or, or awareness of local history at all.
0: Well, I, I know people who, and I don't know how common this was, and it's a romantic, to me it's a romantic notion, that for many years, maybe decades, families lived on both sides in Matamorce and yeah. Brownsville. They crossed back and forth for social events and for business. Of uh, course. And at some point, in fact, I went with my wife to a friend's home in Matamoros to a party one time many years ago. And um, I don't know when that started, and and I don't know when it ended, because I've assumed with the cartel stuff it's all ended.
1: That's been a a real problem, because I was well aware for quite some time that Matamoros was the place to go for entertainment, for uh, to the drive-in, oh, yeah. uh, to Garcia's. You know, oh. Everybody knew the places you wanted to go to over there for diversion. And uh, that's been, if not at least, frustrated considerably now by as a result of the cartel violence.
0: Well, I want to thank uh, Tony Knopp, Anthony Knopp, K-N-O-P-P, if you want to Google the name. And um, there's a lot written by Tony Knopp and his fellow professors down in the Brownsville area, University of Texas RGV or Texas Southmost College, um, lots of stuff written um, about valley history, valley culture, um, which which walk together hand in hand. This is the inaugural podcast of Into the RGV, a South Texas podcast. In future episodes, we're going to cover what made Willacy County distinct. The importance of Star County in South Texas and Texas history. In the next podcast, we'll be looking at Hidalgo County and its historical roots and its place in the cosmos and its place in the history of the Rio Grande Valley. Thank you for listening to Into the RGV, brought to you by Esparza Pest Control and Simmer Technology. Give them a call at 956 316 0000. I'm Davis Rankin.